Hi, I'm Michael Quast. Welcome to the Prevention is Better podcast. Three alarms worth of companies were called to the scene of a house fire. Firefighters are right now battling a house fire. A large fire broke out on Kenal Street this afternoon. Three firefighters got hurt while battling the flames here. Reports of a house fire. Breaking news right now, clearing the rubble. If you operate a multifamily apartment building, a seniors complex, an affordable housing unit, and have even a passing interest in cooking fire safety, you are in for a treat today. If you work in the fire service, the military, or college and university space, today's podcast is a must-listen-to conversation. Kevin McSweeney is well-known in many circles, and rightly so. He has dedicated a career, well, a few of them actually, to keeping people safe from fire. As you will hear, Kevin began working in the military. He spent 20 years with the United States Air Force Fire Protection. Then he spent 10 years with Delaware's Office of State Fire Marshal. Today, you will find him at the University of Delaware as that school's fire protection engineer slash fire marshal. For decades, Kevin has amassed an impressive understanding of fire safety and fire prevention for everyone, from soldiers to students. Here's Kevin's own recap of that very impressive career track. I did uh, 20 years in the Air Force as a firefighter, starting off on the back of a tailboard. Back in the days when I first started up, you actually rode on the back of the fire truck, <laughs> kind of like the garbage men do today. And you just uh, held on for dear life till you got on scene. But from the Air Force, um, I did have a chance to uh, work my way up to various different officer positions through promotions and what have you. The fire prevention piece came into play when I got stationed in McGuire Air Force Base back in 1984. There's a division of the Air Force Fire Department called Tech Services. And then from there, I went to Germany and spent four years at a location just outside of Ramstein Air Force Base. We had a large um, army contingency of uh, military housing occupants and then um, continued on for that four years until I came back stateside again. And then it was a more of a progression into more operation ends of uh, firefighting again. So um, I did 20 years in the Air Force. I actually started in Dover Air Force Base and ended in Dover Air Force Base. And then as I was getting ready to retire, the state fire marshal's office in, uh, in Delaware had a position that was opening up in the Kent County office, which is in the same county Dover Air Force Base is located. So I was able to take a position with the state fire marshal, and it was initially a position where I was going out looking at all the various different fire protection systems and buildings throughout the state and working with the property owners to make sure they were having the proper inspections and maintenance of the fire systems and working with the vendors that inspect the systems to make sure that they were playing by all the rules. They weren't out trying to gouge the property owners for doing things to the fire systems that really weren't required. You caught that, right? Kevin is now describing his work after the Air Force with the state fire marshal's office in Delaware, or as he called it, his retirement. It was right about uh, 2006 that the campus fire marshal at the University of Delaware, um, unfortunately, due to medical reasons, he had to retire from the position. I think my experience went with the tech service group in the Air Force and the experience I had through the state fire marshal kind of set the, the tone for me uh, at this location. I was able to get hired here, and uh, I've been here since, since 2006. So, about 20 years in the Air Force, another 10 with the state's fire marshal, and now about 16 with the University of Delaware. Three careers all focused on fire safety. 
This is a man who knows his stuff. When you made that transition from the Air Force after 20 years and started working with the state fire marshal, what was that like? What was that transition like? How do uh, you know folks in the Air Force, uh, military personnel look at fire safety or think about fire safety differently than civilians? Well, the, uh, it's more discipline in the military installation because you have um, organizational structure. Everybody has to report to somebody, uh, and those type of things. When you're dealing with a civilian population, the state fire marshal's office, for instance, you're dealing with a whole statewide population, uh, all the different age groups, all the nationalities, and different things are going on. You can have a big corporate organization coming in with a plan to develop a shopping center or a housing complex or something along those lines. Or you could have a young family that wants to start a plumbing business that just wants to open up a, a small store within a strip shopping center someplace that doesn't have a whole lot of knowledge with codes and those type of things. So you have to be able to move and shake with the requester that you're dealing with to be able to represent the code, the state, and their interests as far as getting their businesses started. Uh, there's a lot more um, wide open in the civilian world than it is in the military by all means. You pretty much have a captured audience when you're in the military, not so much when you're dealing with the civilian world. Uh, and then when you go from sort of the state fire marshal office to university campus, I mean, you're dealing with, I guess, a more focused audience. But again, you know, if you're talking about discipline in the Air Force, I'm guessing you've got the exact opposite of that spectrum when you're, you know, dealing with students. When I was with the state fire marshal, it was a pretty much a black and white world. I had codes that I walk into a property, the person was either compliant or not compliant. If they weren't compliant, I was able to issue a, a violation or a document requesting action to be taken to correct a condition. I had somewhat of a, a, a that kind of a role here at the campus, but I don't have the authority behind me to make somebody do anything or try to strongly encourage people and educate them to do the right thing uh, so we don't have to deal with the the off-campus uh, authorities coming in later and say, how come, how'd you let this happen? You guys should know better type of thing. Uh, you know, from a compliance point of view, I get that you've said that it's easier to deal on a military context than it is in a civilian context. But just in terms of awareness for the issues and the problems, are there differences there? So it's, it's always understanding the situation you're up against. If you see a blocked exit or a locked exit, it's one thing to go in and say, hey, you need to unlock that. You're, you're, you're violating the fire code. <laughs> it's another thing to go in and say, look, you know, you have this door being locked. Uh, you're risking your population with a limited egress out of the building that may need to have additional egress based on what you're doing or the occupant load of that building. So it's always the, the sales end of the, the thing to encourage the right behavior, uh, to educate through training classes, fire drills, those type of things that you try to uh, reinforce. Um, always be available if somebody does have a question, be available for somebody that may have a complaint. So they may come to you and say, look, I was just over at you know such and such hall and saw you know they had uh, 100 gallons of gasoline <laughs> sitting next to a Bunsen burner or something. And you have to be able to go over there and, and deal with the research group and whatever the situation is to try to mitigate it before it becomes a problem. But still, you know, People are going to do what they want to do until uh, being convinced that it may not be the right thing to do. So if you don't mind, let's talk about cooking fires uh, more specifically then. Is it understood that it's a problem? And is it as much of a problem on a military base as it is on a university campus? The um, the military has more of a family housing population than the, the campus. The residence halls are the, the main focus for a lot of our cooking safety. I was made aware of a, we had a frequency of about four fires a year. 
when I first got here in the Christiana Towers, basically uh, because of the, the, co- the cooking area itself was pretty cramped. The stoves were rather small. The knobs were out front, so it was easy to hit a, a knob by mistake and activate a, a burner without even knowing about it. Plus, you had students that were starting cooking operations and walking away, sitting down in the living room watching TV or whatever their distraction was at the time. When I first became aware of uh, some of the appliances that were available through Pioneer Technology, uh, it was actually in 2006. I was down at the Center for Campus Fire Safety Forum over in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It was the anniversary of the fraternity fire that occurred 10 years prior to that. A fraternity house fire killed five at the University of North Carolina. The tragedy happened just before graduation ceremonies in Chapel Hill. In Atlanta, fire gutted the newly renovated house where Margaret Mitchell wrote Gone with the Wind. But during that, uh, that conference, and he had an interesting display of a tabletop burner. One had the standard coil stovetop burner, and the other one had the safety element, which was a cast iron uh, cover that would replace the coil and worked off a separate relay that regulated the temperature of the cooking surface. And what was really uh, neat about it was demonstrating the safety appliance with a uh, pot of boiling water sitting atop a sheet of paper. And it was boiling rapidly. You could see that there was plenty of heat to actually generate a fire on that piece of paper if there wasn't some other measures of control that were keeping it from happening. And that's where the, um, the safety element came into play. I had visions of the Christiana Towers with all these rooms having to go past the kitchen stove to get to the corridor to, to egress out of the space and seeing that uh, that could be a pinch point or actually trap uh, students within those apartments without some kind of uh, measures being in there, whether it be a suppression system over the stove or uh, an item like the safety element that could uh, regulate cooking and still prevent catastrophe from occurring. Okay, I need to jump in here for a second. First, Christiana Towers is a 17-story student residence that first opened on campus in 1972. Next, I love how Kevin has not actually been in the Air Force for more than 25 years. Hey, he's retired. But you can still hear the service in every word he speaks. Direct, to the point, crystal clear. Finally, let me try to be equally clear. The demonstration Kevin was talking about Please do not try that yourself. No part of that commentary should be considered as an invitation to see for yourself whether paper will burn when placed on a smart element, a.k.a. safety element, or a smart burner. These are products that have been designed to stop cooking fires, not paper from burning. Now, back to Kevin's cooking fire prevention story. So, um, based on that experience down in Chapel Hill... I came back and started talking to senior leadership here on campus and was discussing, you know, this particular feature and the amount of fires we were actually having uh, each year at the Christiana Towers. So they allowed me to do a, uh, a pilot program. I took 10 apartments in each of the two Christiana Towers and had the uh, safety elements installed. And then for a year, we tracked the, uh, the cooking activity by the occupants, getting feedback pro and con with the particular device. Uh, but for the most part, um, other than being slow to, to heat up, everybody would seem to be pleased with the performance. So it was a, it was a, a win-win for us. Um, we, uh, since 2010, 2011, we had uh, started with the safety elements and later with the smart burners that came into play and started replacing uh, safety elements. We haven't had a, a stovetop fire in any of our residence halls since we adopted the use of uh, the safety element or the smart burner. 
Wow. How many years is that now, Kevin? It's uh, going on nine years now. I hope the weight of that has landed. Nine years of proven efficacy in preventing cooking fires, first with Smart Element and then with Smart Burner. Nine years without a cooking fire in those apartments equipped with our cooking fire prevention technology. Just think of the ROI on that after nine years. Is Delaware ahead of the curve? Uh, You know, you're involved with Campus for Fire Safety. You're aware of what's going on at other schools in the U.S. How do other schools come to sort of this understanding that fire safety, cooking fire safety, is something they should be focused on? Well, it's a a common issue we're all facing. Some schools, and depending where you're at, I mean, the the, the budget changes, the, the size of housing changes. One of the unique things that's coming about now is the uh, 2018 International Fire Code is going to require some mechanism, whether it be a suppression or a temperature-controlled cooking appliance, to be installed as part of the occupancy type uh, in a uh, college residence hall. Other populations, such as senior living and uh, even military housing units, would benefit from this type of thing as well. Cooking is the leading cause of fires in homes today. It's something we're all sharing as far as an issue we're trying to uh, grasp and get our hands uh, wrapped around. Where are some of the, the roadblocks or the obstacles? Are they related to budget? Are they related to uh, administrators not necessarily understanding the need for cooking fire safety? Are they related to the students or the parents? I think the, uh, the budget is one thing. Uh, but I think, you know, but with these code changes that are occurring now, everybody's going to be forced to either get a suppression system or get a, um, a temperature controlling arrangement that will make the uh, cooking appliances uh, compliant to the, the codes that are being applied. Can you, can you maybe elaborate a little bit on those code changes? Yeah, the 2018 International Fire Code, uh, I don't have the chapter and verse in front of me. I just recently attended a, uh, a session down at Atlanta. We actually, before the forum kicked off, they had a uh, representative from the ICC reviewing all the 2018 proposed changes to the International Fire Code. And the uh, code that addresses the um, dormitories I was discussing this, this requirement now for the cooking appliance uh, safety uh, measures to be applied. Okay, so here's the chapter and verse. Kevin is referring to the 2018 International Fire Code, specifically Section 904.13.1.2, which speaks specifically to ignition prevention of cooking oil. That, coincidentally, lines up with the new UL 8586A standard for electric oil stoves, all of which is something that our technology has been doing successfully for years. Remember the nearly nine years of no cooking fires Kevin mentioned earlier? In fact, our temperature limiting control technology has been installed a million times without a single cooking fire. As an administrator, if I'm trying to manage a budget, what are the costs of not taking action? Well, it's a couple different things. The the event itself, the damage that occurs could make the room unattendable for them to stay until the, uh, the corrective actions of mediation and mitigation is completed. Uh, most of the residence halls around the country now have sprinkler protection, so if you have a fire to the point where it gets uh, hot enough or large enough to activate a sprinkler head, now you're dealing with the water damages and things like that that are associated with the excess flow of the water sprinkler or the fire sprinkler going off. That and firefighters dragging hose lines in to put out the fire if the sprinkler didn't do that. So it's a large capital expense to uh, to do that. In one fire, we buy a lot of these these safety um, products out there and prevent uh, occurrence at another location. Do you think generally people understand 
cooking fire risks? It's one of those situations, unless it occurs to you, you may not even think it's an issue. The military, the hours they keep, especially when you're overseas, working 12-hour shifts, that type of thing, very easy to become fatigued, uh, start up a, a cooking process, and those off, those type of things were for, for common occurrences. Uh, students are under a lot of pressure to get the, their studies in. They're going to take shortcuts to have a fast meal if they can, and while they're doing that, they're multitasking, studying, and, and different things. So for whatever reason, people are being called away from their cooking operation. It doesn't seem to be a problem to them until it actually occurs. It's not a forethought going into it. One of the things we did here last couple of years is we married up with our wellness group and our residence life group and put together a fire safety cooking program where the wellness group paid for the training. They had their own instructors they brought in. The Res Life paid for the groceries, and I paid for the space where the training was being conducted. And part of the training was I would do a module. I brought in a, uh, a stovetop element and use that as a demonstrator. Plus, it had the uh, safety sensor on a microwave and covered all the different contingencies and issues and past incidents we've had in other you know, or housing areas that were not immune to these things happening to uh, kids at University of Delaware. And then after I got done my piece, then the, the, the cooking people came together and taught them properly cutting with knives and those type of things, gave them recipes that they could uh, take back to the residence halls with them and prepare. And the main thing is each, each kid that attended that session that night ate because they prepared a meal, they ate the meal, and they had a free meal, plus they got a free recipe and had some fire safety all thrown all together with it at one shot. Just in terms of your awesome career, What's one of the hardest lessons that you've learned as an advocate for fire safety? The, the population is always moving, um, whether it be the residence assistants that are, we train the residence assistants every uh, summer. We have a, a night we call fire safety training night. And um, we have 200 RAs go through four or five different training modules, everything from putting a lid on a, a burning pot of fire to crawling through a residence hall dormitory that's smoke filled, these are theatrical smokes, they have to get their hands and knees with a glow stick in their hands so we can track them crawling through the hallways. And we also have uh, some hands-on fire extinguisher training uh, that goes on with them. So but we try to get the uh, them one over. They, we have fire safety officials, we have the fire department out there. It was a collaborative effort to staff this thing, to get exposure to the students with these, these officials and with these firefighters in a situation that's not a fire situation, but it's actually a training environment. That way, if you do have an incident occur in one of the residence halls, they're better prepared. But the, same, the main thing is the, the population is always changing. We have a, a group of, of uh, kids we trained. They're here for two semesters and they're gone. You have to stay on top of the game. You have to stay fresh for the next group coming in that you're not being worn down by things and that you keep things interesting. Yeah, and I guess part of the challenge would be to make sure that you're not getting tired of delivering this, what may sound like the same message over and over again, because really you've got a different audience. Um, okay, so in terms of cooking fire safety and the college university space, what's what's your best advice? Uh, just uh, to try to support the fire prevention programs at their campus, to um, attend the, the RE training night, to, to take the online course, to accompany um, the fire group when they do residence halls inspections. Uh, just to get a feel for what, what's being looked at. Uh, I have uh, younger folks working for me and I'm always weighing in on them to uh, give me their ideas or their perspective on things. Uh, even the, the, the school kids that come in each year uh, getting their perspective. How, how's our outreach? Can we get to a better way of communicating with you to, to get the uh, at-risk population exposed to the information better? Well, I admire your commitment to keeping an open mind because you need to have that if you've got 
you know, fresh minds coming in every year and, and giving you new ideas and new perspectives on old ideas. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, sir. And go Flyers. <laughs> Hmm. I don't think that was a fire service reference. Hockey, maybe. (laughs) Again, thanks to Kevin for taking the time out of his busy retirement to share a ton of insight and information. And thanks to you for listening. If you want more information about cooking fire prevention, visit preventcookingfires.com.